0: That blows my mind. That you would allow somebody to work this entire time with no security clearance is nuts. You call it nuts. I call it the Trump White House.
1: Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. MAGA! I got the feeling that something right. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs to the left me, to the right here i am stuck in the middle with you yep yes i'm stuck from in the pacifica radio you. in los angeles this is the broadcast as heard on kpfk 90.7 it's fm right here in la up in oregon on the central coast on kyaq and cottage grove on queso in lancaster pennsylvania on wlri and maui hawaii on kaku in Columbus, Ohio, on WGRN, and Palinville, New York's WLPP, Grand Rapids, Michigan's WPRR, New Orleans, WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, Seattle, Washington's KODX, Red Bluff and Red in California's KFOI, and Round Mountain, California's KKRN and in Minneapolis, St. Paul, on AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, Detour Talk, and other fine affiliates. Blanketing Planet Earth, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, All-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. Well, you know, how insane is this? The Dow Jones uh, Industrial Average dropped more than 1,000 points again on Thursday. And it was only about the the 10th on the list of top news items by Thursday night. It recovered a bit, in case you're worried about it, in a late rally on Friday. Uh, though the week still ended down with a down a, a pretty huge 5% loss in the market. Mm, who has any idea what's going to happen there next? I don't. You don't. Nobody does. But when it does happen, uh, will any of it even manage to rise above the din of political madness that continues to seemingly get matter and matter by the, not by the day, but by the hour. This just in, just before we go to air, uh, Rachel Brand, the third-ranking official at the Justice Department, is stepping down, reportedly, from her job, according to the New York Times, in a report subsequently confirmed by NBC. The associate attorney general's move follows Donald Trump's repeated attacks on the Department of Justice. For its role in the probe into Russian interference in the 2016 election, Brand served just nine months in that role. She will take a job in the private sector, according to The Times. She would have overseen special counsel Robert Mueller's Russia probe if Trump had decided to fire Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein, uh, who he has repeatedly criticized. Rosenstein is in that role because Jeff Sessions recused himself from the uh, from the team Trump probe. So that's just uh, one of the things that has happened over the past hour. And uh, we'll get to a lot more here in a moment. But despite the, the, the madness going on, there are still legislators out there who are still proposing bills. Good ones, in fact, that may come in useful if we ever hope to get out of this mess. Whether they actually come to the floor for a vote is another uh, question entirely, of course. But to that end, we will be joined momentarily by Congresswoman Barbara Lee of California, one of my my heroes, frankly, for her courageous vote against endless war following the 9-11 attacks. She will be joining us to talk about her new bill introduced this week regarding women specifically and climate change. Hey, Desi Doyen. Yeah, I'm a big fan. I figured you might be. Not uh, just
2: of her, but also of this bill.
1: I know. And uh, we will talk to her about uh, why, because uh, to me, climate change seems like a, a topic that uh, matters to everyone, not just women.
2: Kind of a big deal.
1: But we will see why uh, why she's focusing on women in that legislation when we talk to the congresswoman uh, shortly. We'll talk about that uh, and about a number of uh, other matters with her Um, But first, the uh, well, Rand Paul forced a short government shutdown after midnight on Thursday night and Friday morning after the deadline for a new spending bill had passed at midnight. Um, And they ultimately were able to pass a bill that will only last until March when all of this same mess may happen again. The bipartisan deal's passage was uh, never really thought to be in doubt, in the U.S. Senate at least. Majority Leader Mitch McConnell uh, felt that he had the votes there in a deal that he brokered with Chuck Schumer. The bill's passage in the House was only somewhat less certain by Thursday evening when um, House Speaker uh, Paul Ryan had promised he had the votes locked down. He said that on Thursday morning, but it was unknown if if he knew what he was talking about there. But Republican Senator Rand Paul of Kentucky wanted uh, wanted the chance to introduce an amendment to the Senate bill, and he used a procedural prerogative to throw up roadblocks in front of a vote on the bill up until about 1.30 a.m. on Friday morning. Uh, that means the government had shut down just after midnight. Paul was objecting to the measure's uh, massive increase to the national debt with unpaid-for new spending as high as four or even $500 billion for both military and domestic programs and disaster relief for Texas and Florida and Puerto Rico. But he had an odd argument uh, for complaining about the new deficit spending, uh, summed up during his late-night speechifying this way. So the reason I'm here tonight is to put people on the spot. I want people to feel uncomfortable. I want them to have to answer people at home who said, how come you were against President Obama's deficits, and then how come you're for Republican deficits? Isn't that the very definition of intellectual dishonesty? If you were against President Obama's deficits, and now you're for the Republican deficits, isn't that the very definition? Of hypocrisy. Yes, it is. It is the very definition of hypocrisy. Thank you for calling your Republican colleagues out on that. And while we're at it, why don't you call yourself out uh, on the very definition of hypocrisy after uh, you, Rand Paul, just voted uh, in December for a $1.5 trillion increase in the deficit in the national debt, thanks to the Republican tax cuts that you supported. That we're not paid for. Isn't that the very definition of uh, hypocrisy, of intellectual, what was the word? Dishonesty. Intellectual dishonesty. Senator Paul, of course, other um, Republicans joined him in that seemingly very definition of intellectual dishonesty, including Senators Bob Corker of Tennessee and Jeff Flake of Arizona. Uh, who will be retiring uh, soon. They condemned the new deficit spending as well, but of course both of them as well just voted in December to increase the deficit with their tax cut bill by the same $1.5 trillion. So it's kind of amazing. Nonetheless, Paul eventually gave up. The measure passed easily in the Senate, 71 to 28, with wide bipartisan support before it moved to the House in the early morning hours. The House then did pass the bill just after 530 a.m. on a 240 to 186 vote, with 167 Republicans voting yes and 67 of them voting no. Democrats contributed some 73 votes to get it across the finish line. Uh Trump was waiting at the White House to quickly sign it to reopen the government after what amounted to about a seven hour shutdown of the federal government. The second one so far this year. <laughs> but the year is uh, the year is young. The uh, bill will authorize the U.S. government to spend about five hundred billion dollars more over the next two years alone and suspends the debt ceiling until 2019. You remember the debt ceiling, right? That's the thing that Republicans used to threaten shutdowns over, at least during Barack Obama's presidency, threatening to force the U.S. to default on its bills that it has already committed to. Um, At the time, they would say, you know, Dems needed to uh, cut spending or else cut spending elsewhere or else they would uh, not just shut down the government, but default the U.S. government for the first time in history. Now they're not so interested. Because they are, of course, the very definition of hypocrisy. So they included uh, a a rise to the debt ceiling, which has to come earlier than expected, thanks to that tax cut. But, you know, they don't seem to care much about, uh, about debt and deficit anymore. None of them. Not even Rand Paul. Sixty percent of the new money in the new spending bill goes to the military. The rest goes to domestic programs. This is the third largest increase in federal spending. I'm sorry, this is the largest increase in federal spending since the Obama stimulus passed during the depths of the Great Recession. Republicans, you'll recall, had universally... I'm sorry, wait, wait, yeah. uh,
2: say that again. Yeah,
1: With the largest increase in federal spending since the Obama stimulus. Huh. Go figure. Yeah, imagine.
2: I remember. I'm also so old. I remember when they fought like hell to stop the Obama stimulus,
1: yep. which was supposed to
2: save the economy from the Great Recession, the world economic collapse. And they said, oh, no, no, that's too big. We uh, can't afford that.
1: On the grounds that it would increase the debt too much. Yeah. So uh, because they slashed taxes and are now jacking up spending, the nonpartisan committee for a responsible federal budget forecasts that this bill will ensure permanent trillion dollar deficits. As far as the eye can see, the projected deficit in 2019 is now one point one trillion. And compare that to what it was under that uh, big tax and spend Democratic President Barack Obama. When it was just 439 billion back in 2015, so it is more than twice that for 2019 under Republican rule. Please don't forget that uh, next time you're at the ballot box, or next time you're hearing Republicans pretending they're against debt and deficit, don't don't forget as well. Trump called for an additional an additional one and a half trillion dollar infrastructure package during his State of the Union. So yeah, good luck with that at this point. Uh, Washington Post reports that most GOP lawmakers have simply stopped caring about the issue of deficit spending.
2: It's like magic.
1: They say a reason is because their base stopped caring, <laughs> but uh, I wonder why the base stopped caring. Polls show that the deficit has uh, dwindled. That as the uh, uh, th- that the deficit concerns uh, have dwindled, uh, especially since Obama left office for some odd reason. Trump has helped drive this transformation away from a party who used to pretend that they cared about deficits. He is, of course, the self-proclaimed king of debt, has driven several businesses into bankruptcy by taking out ill-advised loans. Now perhaps he's willing to do that with the, uh, with the U.S. as well. Um, this uh, bill, will uh, military spending will jump by 10%. 10% increase in domestic spending as well. Federal health programs will get much needed funding. There'll be help for uh, disasters, including those in Puerto Rico. There are more tax cuts for 2017. Extra money to fight the opioid epidemic. Um, more money for GOP social priorities like abstinence education. And the U.S. Strategic Petroleum Reserve will be tapped and sold down. So this is among the things that uh, Republicans are uh, apparently happy to do. This also gives vulnerable Democrats um, uh, several wins. It takes a number of uh, items off the uh, party's 2018 Better Deal agenda. But you know what it doesn't include? It doesn't include a a fix for the Dreamers. The hundreds of thousands of kids who came here with their parents as children who are now threatened with deportation as early as March five. Uh, nothing in the bill on that. And uh, so that fight remains ahead in the coming weeks to try to protect those hundreds of thousands of, of of kids who have been here for some of them for decades, protect them from deportation, along with undoubtedly uh another fight um, over the uh overspending in just one month's time since Friday's spending deal times out on March 23. Because uh, this Congress only does stuff at the very last minute at this point anymore, unless it's huge tax cuts. They're happy to do those anytime. They're happy to hobble the, the, the rest of the government and the nation's huge support for social safety net programs uh, that they continue to gut. They'll They'll do that at any time. Meanwhile, speaking of gutting, remember that whole 2016 election thing where Republicans pretended to worry about national security? By claiming that uh, Hillary Clinton had exposed classified information to people not authorized to see it, which she ever never actually did. Well, uh, yeah, I guess they're not uh, con- all that concerned about that anymore on the Republican side. Uh, they're no more concerned about that than they are about deficits now. Go figure. White House Chief of Staff John Kelly was told several weeks ago that the FBI would deny full security clearances to multiple White House aides who had been working in the West Wing on interim security clearances. That news uh, comes uh, after the uh, now former White House Staff Secretary, Rob Porter, resigned on Wednesday after photos of one Of the two wives that he allegedly abused uh, was published by The Intercept. Donald Trump uh, spoke about that at the White House today. He was asked about uh, his support for uh, for Rob Porter by reporters.
3: We wish him well. He worked very hard. I found out about it recently and I was surprised by it. But we certainly wish him well. It's a uh, obviously tough time for him. He did a very good job when he was in the White House. Uh, And we hope he has a wonderful career. And hopefully he will have a great career ahead of him. But uh, it was very sad when we heard about it. And certainly he's also uh, very sad. Now, he also, uh, as you probably know, he says he's innocent. And I think you have to remember that. He said very strongly yesterday that he's innocent. So you'll have to talk to him about that. But we yeah. absolutely wish him well. We did a very do. good job while he was at the White House.
1: We wish him uh, well. Donald Trump had nothing to say about the two women who were Rob Porter's victims, his two ex-wives who were physically and verbally and emotionally abused by Porter during their marriages uh, with him, according to them, but uh, and according to the photographic evidence of one of them with a black eye. But you have to remember... Uh, Donald Trump uh, says that uh, Porter says he's innocent. So you got to take that into consideration. I wonder why a claim of innocence when all evidence demonstrates to the contrary is so important to this particular president. (laughs) Uh, we uh, In any event, we now know more about the fact that General John Kelly, Trump's chief of staff and really the only other man higher than uh, 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 Trump on the Oval Office totem pole before Rob Porter. We now know more about what he knew about these allegations against Porter and um, that Porter, in fact, would not receive a permanent security clearance due to his troubled past. And yet Kelly didn't fire him. Uh, and allowed Porter to see the most sensitive information in the U.S. government. Well, John Kelly was told several weeks ago that uh, the FBI would not give this uh, full security clearance to not just uh, uh, Rob Porter, but to multiple White House aides who had been working in the West Wing on that interim uh, security clearance basis. Those aides, according to a senior administration official, included former White House uh, Staff Secretary Rob Porter, And others, says Politico. The White House chief of staff told confidants in recent weeks that he had decided to fire anyone who had been denied a clearance, but he had yet yet to act on that plan before the Porter allegations were first reported uh, publicly this week. He, however, knew about them several weeks ago at the very least. Uh, John Kelly uh, initially defended Porter. Uh, who has now been romantically uh, involved apparently with White House communications director Hope Hicks, hope she'll be OK, uh, and then expressed shock over the allegations uh, on, on Thursday. The, those close to Kelly say they're puzzled about why former Marine, the former Marine general, uh, who has been focused in uh, since joining the West Wing on eliminating irregularities and chaos. They are puzzled why he failed to follow through on his determination to push out all of the aides denied a permanent clearance. Well, I'm not sure why anybody should be puzzled about that about his failure to fire everybody in the White House who the White House who the FBI said would not get a full security clearance story from the New York Times also last night should make that abundantly clear they report that dozens of White House employees are awaiting permanent security clearances and have been working for months with temporary approvals to handle sensitive information while the FBI continues to probe their backgrounds that according to Officials that the uh, actually the Washington Post that the uh, Washington Post spoke to people familiar with the security clearance process said one of those White House officials with an interim approval is Jared Kushner. President's son-in-law, one of his most influential advisors. So, of course, John Kelly was going to, you know,
2: not fire, not people. fire. Yeah, if <laughs> he was going to
1: start firing everybody who yeah. couldn't pass FBI background checks, he'd have to start with the president's own son-in-law. Apparently, it's very unusual for senior White House personnel to have to wait for more than several months for a permanent top uh, top secret sensitive uh, information clearance. If you're on the speed track, it can be a matter of four to six weeks, uh, says one Ob- a senior Obama official who's familiar with how this works. He said that at, a, at more than a year out, assuming the process began when Kushner was in the transition, that that is much longer than it should be. Uh, He says that just tells me that somebody's uncomfortable with the information that they have on Jared Kushner's background. Oh, you think in a report late today from The New York Times, Kelly has now said he would be willing to resign in the light of all of this, though he hasn't offered his uh, resignation officially yet. He also told a story uh, to White House staffers reportedly at a meeting on Friday that uh, claiming that he had only just heard less than an hour before. Uh, Kelly left or was fired or was pushed out. He had only just heard about the the worst of of what uh, Porter had been accused of. Uh, The New York Times reports that uh, a number of staffers were dubious about that. There's also some question about whether he was fired or whether he quit on his own. Sarah Huckabee Sanders had said on Thursday that he left, that Porter had left on his own accord. Kelly is now saying he pushed him out. So a lot of confusion here. But how serious is this issue? uh and how much is you know should there be an investigation about all of this because you know if this had been a a democrat in the white house i suspect we'd be hearing about calls for impeachment on this remember this is a party that ran almost entirely uh on you know on being outraged that classified information was being shared with people who shouldn't see that information now of course that never happened, but that's what they ran on. That's what the Trump White House ran on for an entire year. And two, the media, two years and the
2: media let them get away with it.
1: Yes. So just to underscore uh, how wildly irresponsible this actually is in this case with Porter that I suspect Republicans will not want to investigate, uh, and not just with Porter, but who knows how many other staffers right now are similarly compromised while handling classified information. The The Times identified uh, Kushner, but not anybody else amidst the dozens that they claim uh, may never get permanent security clearance at this point. This, this conversation last night with Congressman Sean Patrick Maloney, Democrat from New York and uh, a former White House staff secretary himself, under President Bill Clinton sort of underscores how insane this is.
4: Am I right to think that being the staff secretary means that you routinely handle um, highly classified information?
0: Spot on. There is not a day that goes by that there are not a stack of red folders on the staff secretary's desk marked top secret. They're often above that level of secrecy, by the way. Top secret is actually where you start. They go all the way up to levels that are themselves classified. And there is a burn bag under the desk of the staff secretary because when you discard materials, it will be collected by a special team and incinerated that night. Uh, The staff secretary sees everything. I don't think people understand. The national security advisor, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, they don't give memos to the president. They give them to the staff secretary, and the staff secretary manages those uh, documents as they go to the Oval Office. You see everything.
4: How unusual is it that somebody would be in the staff secretary position without a permanent security clearance of any kind, with just an interim clearance?
0: Yeah, wow, that blows my mind. That you you would allow somebody to work this entire time with no security clearance is nuts. Now, if I may, normally you start and it's an iterative process. So they assume you can do the job and they're doing it quick while you're on the job. That's normal. But in this case, we know that they knew as early as January 2017, right up front, that this guy had issues in his background wife beating credible allegations of it uh... that would have permanently disqualified him from holding this job um, and so why they even gave him an, an initial clearance is beyond me because they must have known he would never have cleared the full background check. When
4: you're just a civilian, like Rob Porter was, and you're working for the White House, it's actually the White House who grants you your clearance based on this background check information from the FBI. Therefore, it's sort of the president's decision whether or not to disregard the FBI's advice and clear somebody anyway.
0: Is that is that the way it works? If the president didn't do this, um, it's nobody else's call. The, the, right. the chief of staff, I can't imagine the chief of staff making this call without informing the president. And there is no way you're going to convince me that somebody said we're going to let the staff secretary to the president do the job without a security clearance and not tell the chief of staff. So the chief of staff was up to his neck in this, I'm sure, and and he and the White House counsel would have been the first people to review this, and it 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 really blows my mind that they would take on to themselves the decision to let a staff secretary work without a security clearance. If
4: the president never made the call to uh waive the basically waive the process and clear this young man if somebody else cleared this to happen and put classified information in this young man's hands would there have to be a would there be a congressional inquiry like how would that be uh, who looks into that
0: Well, I've written to the chairman of the oversight committee in the House, uh, Chairman Gowdy, to ask for an investigation of this. That's what that committee exists for, by the way. And we know their concern in the Republican Party for handling classified information, because we were lectured about it throughout 2016. Hmm. So we ought to to get to the bottom of this. But can I just back up? They knew that they had a, a person in this sensitive position who was credibly accused of beating his uh, not not his not his wife but both of his ex-wives that those people had come forward that there were police reports and they made the decision to keep that person on the job knowing those allegations and and knowing he couldn't have a security clearance what the hell is going on? What does that say about the value system of this White House and of these officials? That would be terrible. And then you add, even if you didn't have to add on to it, as we must, the fact that they, you then have someone who is eminently blackmailable seeing our nation's top secrets. And then, as you point out, you may be breaking the law in the process. Because remember, the FBI would have asked him about these allegations. And I'd like to know what Rob Porter said to the FBI. And that's why we need to see the investigative report.
1: That was uh, Congressman Sean Patrick Maloney, Democrat from New York, former White House staff secretary himself, just like the now either fired or quit Rob Porter. Uh, Speaking about how big a deal this actually is. And yes, there are more people inside the White House who do not have permanent security clearance, including Donald Trump's own son-in-law, Jared Kushner. Had this been any other White House, the chief of staff would have been gone by now. Had it been a Democratic White House, someone would have already brought forward articles of impeachment. They'd certainly be asking in Congress, what did the president know and when did he know it? In this case, in this Trump White House, I expect those uh, questions uh, to disappear very quickly amongst all of the rest of the messes going on in this White House and in this country right now. All right, I got to take a break running along here, uh, turning the page a bit uh, amidst all of this madness. we, We have the much larger mess also of, you know, global climate. That is at least as out of uh, control as our White House and our Congress to that end and, and, and likely with very little sleep following the latest insane spending bill mess in Congress on Thursday night and Friday morning. We'll be joined momentarily by the great Congresswoman Barbara Lee of California to discuss her new initiative introduced in the House this past week amidst all of this madness. Focusing on the intersection of women and climate and the unique threat that global warming poses to them in the U.S. and particularly around the world. That's next on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. <laughs>
2: And thanks.
1: Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. The World Resources Institute warned last month in January of the rise of water stress globally in the era of climate change and projected that 33 countries already located in volatile regions are most likely to face extremely high water stress by 2040. That is happening already, however, in places around the world, for example, in Cape Town, South Africa, where water is set to run out completely. Completely. As soon as mid-May. They're calling it day zero in uh, what is the first major city in the world to run completely out of water, a major city of nearly half a million people. Just days after the World Resources Institute report last month, the journal Nature Climate Change projected that a full 30 percent of of the world's land surfaces are likely to become too hot and too dry to support human settlement if global temperatures rise above the agreed-upon 2 degrees Celsius target in the UN-Paris Climate Agreement. They will become too hot or dry to support human settlement. At the same time, the UN Development Program in its 2013 Human Development Report projects that the number of people living in extreme poverty could increase by up to $3 by 2050 due to environmental disasters. The U.S. military has labeled climate change a threat multiplier because it intensifies and exacerbates existing conflicts and has the potential to destabilize already volatile regions, which it too already has in places like Syria, where extreme drought was one of the factors leading to that country's ongoing civil war and the rise of ISIS in that country. The U.N. Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change warned in its most recent comprehensive report that climate change will have a greater impact on women and girls in particular because, especially in developing countries, women and girls already spend a disproportionate amount of time searching for food and water and struggling to grow crops. The United Nations has found that in environmental-related disasters, women and children are far more vulnerable than men and far more likely to become victims of sex trafficking. Former Secretary of State and former Democratic presidential candidate Hillary Clinton, remember her? She spoke at an event at Georgetown University this past Monday to honor women who have worked to fight human trafficking and advance women's rights around the world. In response to an audience question, Secretary Clinton urged students to continue the fight for action on climate change despite the current administration, because women and girls are already being disproportionately impacted by climate change.
5: For women, you're absolutely right. They will bear the brunt of looking for the food, looking for the firewood, looking for uh, the place to migrate to when all of the grass is finally gone as the uh, desertification moves south and you have to keep moving your livestock or your crops are no longer growing, they're burning up in uh, the intense heat that we're now seeing reported across North Africa into the Middle East and into India. So, yes, women, once again, will be the primary, primarily burdened with the uh, problems of climate change because, remember, 60 percent of the smallholder farmers in the world are women. I'm talking about less than an acre in most instances, so they're out there toiling to grow enough food to feed their own family and maybe have a little extra to go to market. So there are lots of ways from, you know, our own uh, challenges here at home all the way to supporting uh, programs and projects that are taking place around the world that can make a difference in uh, women's lives. Uh, there is some progress, not nearly enough, and without the United States government, the national government, being a leader, I think our efforts are going to be certainly hobbled by uh, our lack of uh, involvement. But we can't let that stop us from doing everything we possibly can to try to make a difference on climate change here in the United States and around the world, knowing full well that it will have a and is having already Uh, a very negative impact uh, in many places and the burden disproportionately falling on women and children.
1: That was former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton this past week at Georgetown University. Amid all the uh, turmoil in the nation's capital of late, Progressive Democratic Congresswoman Barbara Lee of California is keeping up the fight for women's rights and against climate change. To that end, this past week, she introduced the Women and Climate Change Act of 2018 in hopes of encouraging approaches to climate change mitigation that uplift, include and empower women. Barbara Lee has, in fact, uh, spent her entire career working to resolve issues at the intersection of poverty, race and gender since she integrated her own high school cheerleading squad as a teenager in California. She is now in her 10th term as the Democratic representative for California's 13th congressional district in the San Francisco Bay Area. She is the former chair of the Congressional Black Caucus, former co-chair of the Progressive Caucus, and now a senior Democratic whip. In 2001, she garnered national attention as the only member of either House of Congress to vote Following the 9 11 attacks, in opposition to the authorization for the use of military force, the so called AUMF, in Afghanistan and, as she predicted, elsewhere. In the years se- uh, since, as we have seen, uh, and as she has courageously warned at the time during those very dark days following that tragedy, that military authorization has now been used more than 30 times by three different American presidents to engage in U.S. military actions overseas without congressional oversight and has resulted in the still-ongoing 17-year U.S. war in Afghanistan, the longest war in our nation's history, which the Pentagon said last week uh, is now costing U.S. taxpayers at least $45 billion a year with no end in sight. Amidst all of that, and amidst the budget bill and the shutdown madness in Congress in recent days, her measure focusing on women and climate change was introduced in the U.S. House and has, so far, been joined by 27 co-sponsors and has been endorsed by both the Sierra Club and Planned Parenthood. Congresswoman Barbara Lee, welcome to the broadcast on what I imagine is is very little, if any, sleep at this point.
3: Yeah,
1: but I'm glad to be with you. Thank you. You bet. I want to ask you a quick uh, question or two about the Democrats' DACA fight for DREAMers and your your, uh, prescient warnings about endless war if there's time. But since I know time Uh is short, let me get right to your climate bill. Uh, Congresswoman, given the magnitude of the overall threat of climate change to civilization as a whole, uh, not to mention this administration and the Republicans' seeming dismissal of the entire matter, does the focus of your bill on women specifically, particularly in this age of, of uh, sort of heightened awareness of women's issues, do you feel that it, it helps the odds of gaining traction for this bill in the Congress? And how does your measure focus specifically on the plight of women and climate?
3: Sure, it absolutely is very timely. Uh, and when we look, first of all, just to what uh, is happening with climate change and um, Course, the climate deniers mm-hmm. who are within now the federal government I'm running the show. Yep. It's really important that uh, this bill be uh, read and uh, supported because what it does is really set forth the impact of uh, climate change on vulnerable communities, and women are especially vulnerable to uh, these changes in the environment. Mm-hmm. And uh, we know women are the ones that are finding water, collecting food, caring for family members, and so. Now, more than ever, we need to focus on climate change um, as a whole, but also ways to uh, empower women as they are the most vulnerable people and will be uh, impacted most by um, these health epidemics, uh, refugee crises, forced forced migration. You know, all of the issues that we know, Mm -hmm. uh, women are uh, disproportionately impacted. So now's the time for this bill. Now's the time to organize and mobilize, and I hope people will ask their members
1: of Congress to sign on as co-sponsors. How does uh, your measure specifically? Because uh, when I read about it, I, you know, it occurred to me. Well, how do you fight for women regarding climate change versus everyone else? So, what what does your measure do specifically to focus on the on the plight of women and and climate here?
3: Well, fighting for women means fighting for everyone else because. You know, we want to first set up a federal interagency task force Mm -hmm. on women and climate change. So we're going to look at how we can coordinate this council or this working group uh, within the State Department Office of Global Women Affairs, but we're looking at the State Department, EPA, uh, NOAA, CDC, and other agencies to pull together uh, a plan. But this plan, we have to understand, is going to impact not only women, uh, but also uh, the Climate change in general And vulnerable communities mm-hmm. It will focus the federal government On developing um, strategies You know, which of course Includes the implementing of the Sustainable De- Development Goals By the United Nations mm-hmm. and, and so we are focused on women Because as I said, women are Bearing the brunt in many ways uh, Of what is taking place On On, um, mm-hmm. on the issues of climate change Global warming is going to impact and mitigate the effects for everyone around the world.
1: Now, in theory, now this may be a crazy question, uh, Congresswoman, Mm -hmm. but in theory, Donald Trump's daughter Ivanka. Claims to be interested in global women's issues exactly like this, though her father is a climate change denier. I'm wondering if this effort may be a way to somehow bring the Trump family into this issue somehow, as impossible as that seems. Have you reached out uh, or do you intend to reach out to Ivanka on uh, on this to see if you can bring her bring her along, at least for this measure to look specifically at uh, women's issues and climate?
3: Well, I welcome her uh, to look at this and support it. And, of course, we'll send it to the White House and other federal agencies. You know, but quite frankly, when you look at uh, what she says and what she does, there's a big gap. Mm -hmm. And so hopefully uh, she will. But the Trump family and the Trump um, administration, uh, they've never been known for uh, policies that that positively affect women or climate change.
1: And so we'll see. You you win the understatement of the year award, Congressman. With that thought, Uh, I see you've already got 27 co-sponsors on the bill introduced just days ago. Uh, They're largely from the progressive Democratic Caucus in the House, which I believe you used to co-chair. Any signs so far that any of your Republican colleagues might join this effort, whether in the House or Senate? Uh, as I'd hope there are a number of women, at least, on the Republican side that uh, might be sympathetic to this bill.
3: Sure. I'm a member of the Bipartisan uh, Women's Working Group, and I'm certainly asking women, Democrats and Democratic and Republican women to uh, sign on. And it's about educating women, and it's about really breaking this down. uh, And oftentimes Republican women really um, are at least more moderate and, and can see
5: mm-hmm.
3: why a policy makes sense for children and for women. And if they, uh, you know, step out and don't support their, their party on, uh, as a climate denier party, then mm-hmm. I think we can build some support. But we'll see if they can step out and really do something that is bipartisan and that really helps women and children and the, and the planet, um, you know, as, as women. Uh, working with Democratic women to get this
1: moving forward. Well, I would hope, but so far, no signs. I know it's just days ago that you introduced the bill. So far, none of the uh, the women in that bipartisan uh, caucus have 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 stepped up to co-sponsor, as far as you know.
3: But I'm certainly but I'm certainly going to ask them and do a presentation and keep working. it.
1: Good. It takes a while. Good. Uh, I, I know time is okay. short. I want to ask you, if you don't mind, a couple of quick questions uh, on some other okay. related issues. I know you voted against the okay. big spending bill on Thursday night, uh, Friday morning, okay. actually, uh, joining with the majority of Democrats, hoping to force uh, legislation to protect the Dreamers. The uh, The bill ultimately passed, the spending bill ultimately passed after a short government shutdown caused by Rand Paul in the Senate, but... Has the Democratic caucus itself done enough to use its leverage to force a fix to DACA? And, and do you believe that uh, House Speaker Paul Ryan will even allow a bill to come forward that, that, that can be passed in the House to protect those hundreds of thousands of kids now facing potential deportation as soon as uh, March 5, thanks to Trump's reversal of the Obama-era DACA protection for these uh, children of immigrants who came here years ago?
3: And believe you me, first of all, uh, Democrats and the public want to see a DREAM Act passed, a clean DREAM Act. These young people deserve to move forward with their lives. They're living right now in fear and anxiety, and it's really wrong um, for Speaker Ryan not to consider this a priority. So we're pushing him to bring forth a bill, uh, you know, one of the bills that we have, and give us an up or down vote. And I'm confident that if he brings it up, we'll have uh, one of these bills that are good uh, passed. Uh, in in a bipartisan way But we have to make sure Speaker Ryan does it and So far, he hasn't And that's one of the reasons I voted no Because I thought that um, Even though, uh, you know, there's some Very, uh, I think, good parts of this bill In terms of domestic spending mm-hmm. Which, uh, as an appropriator You know, we were able to put in But overall, the defense numbers Are just excessive I mean, there's no way we should have Such a huge defense budget It has nothing to do with our national security but when you look at the billions in waste, fraud, and abuse of, at the Pentagon, these resources could be used more for housing, for health care, for education, for infrastructure, for job creation. And so I could not vote for this for a variety of reasons. So we're pushing now ahead. We've got to get this uh, settled before these huge deportations started. We're going to do everything we can do to protect these young people and to uh, insist that Speaker Ryan bring up one of the bills.
1: I and I, well, I want to ask you about that uh, spending, that military spending. But do, do you feel does do the do Democrats still have the leverage that they would have had that they did have uh, before passing this bill? Uh, is there a point of leverage at this point anymore to force uh, Ryan to to let this come to the floor?
3: Yeah, well, I think the public's going to do that, and I think we do have leverage. I think when you uh, look at the, uh, I have to say, the power of the people, the outside organizations, the, the push in all parts of the country for this to come forward, I think it's going to be the voices of our young people and communities around the country now that said, no more, enough is enough, let's pass something.
1: You, you may be more optimistic than me, Congresswoman. Uh, finally, uh, I hope you're right. Uh, the Pentagon. Uh, said, okay, well,
3: we, we listen. I have to. You know, you have to stay optimistic. Otherwise, we get stuck with with the, their negativity and they're trying to take us back. So, y- the public has to be hopeful and has to work hard to get this done.
1: You're absolutely right. I'm going to go with that. Uh, last question here for you, Congresswoman. The, uh, the Pentagon said this last week that the war in Afghanistan, now in its 17th year, is now costing U.S. taxpayers about $45 billion a year, which you courageously warned uh, all of us about years ago. Is there now any real effort uh, anywhere in Congress to bring this to an end, or at least to rewrite the 2001 authorization for the uh, for the use of military force that seemed to be getting some real uh, bipartisan support uh, and momentum last year, but that seems to have uh, disappeared, it seems, in recent months?
3: Well, no. I think Speaker Ryan is the one, well, I know he's the one who, who uh, in an undemocratic and underhanded fashion, just... Uh, went around Democrats and Republicans until the amendment that I had put into the Defense Appropriations Bill. So we're building more support. The grassroots and the public needs to speak out a little bit more. But on the inside, I think we've got more Democrats and more Republicans saying, hey, there is no military solution to this. We do not need to increase our troop levels. And we need to find a non-military way to to help solve all of the issues that are taking place. We're involved still in the Civil War. And history has shown us that there's no military solution. As I said, that's why I voted against the resolution. It was a blank check to set the stage for perpetual war. And so we're going to get this done. And it's just going to take, you know, more time, more work. But I hope that your listeners weigh in with their members of Congress and tell them to support, one, my legislation to repeal the 2001 and to insist the 2001 resolution to use force and to insist on a debate and to make a decision as to whether or not we're going to do another one and let the public know what the cost and consequences are. Congress has been missing in action. We need to do our job, and we're not. But believe you me, we're building support to do that.
1: So all we need is the people to call in, demand a repeal of the uh, 2001 uh, authorization, uh, a new bill for uh, for DREAMers, and for women and climate. Call your Congress uh, That's not pr- all. people for that. That's
3: not all that's not all we need to do, but that's the first step in a democracy, is hold your elected officials accountable.
1: Very good. Uh, Congresswoman Barbara okay. Lee of California's 13th District, uh, really appreciate you joining us today. Good luck uh, with everything, and thanks for trying, at least, to, to help keep us all positive here. Okay. Thank you. My pleasure. All right. <laughs> okay, quick break, and uh, we will come back with uh, the some of the listener mail that I had uh, tried to get to yesterday but couldn't. I'm going to do it today, somehow. In the few minutes we have left, I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Don't go away. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the Bradcast. to make a one time donation or even better, automated monthly support. It'll take you about 60 seconds and you can rest easy knowing that we'll be here every day making sense of it all or at least trying to. That's bradblogcom donate and thanks.
3: Wait a minute, Postman. Wait a minute, Mr. Postman.
1: Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. A few listener emails that uh, I've been uh, trying to get to. Um, From listener Debbie in New York to uh, Bradcast at Bradblog.com, where I'd love to hear from you as well. uh, Responding to the story of Republican-run states now applying for waivers for their Medicaid programs. To include lifetime limits on coverage for the first time in the popular social safety net program's history uh, and on other attacks uh, on the program, both by Trump and congressional Republicans, Uh, Debbie writes, Hi, Brad and Desi. Hi. I was listening to your show uh, about Republican plans to change Medicaid. There is an aspect to this that is so troubling that no one is talking about. She says, I'm a social worker in New York City, and I work with a very vulnerable population, chronically street homeless individuals with serious mental illness. We follow a housing first philosophy, which is an evidence based practice. The idea uh, that being the idea being that if you house someone, you reduce the stressor of not having that basic need met and can then work to improve other areas. She says, our site has on, uh, on-site primary medical and psychiatric services, which are covered by our funders. However, when we secure housing for clients, they need to use community clinics, which bill their Medicaid. If work and or time requirements become attached to Medicaid, we will see untreated mental illness and homelessness skyrocket. Part of being successful in housing is having access to providers and to medication, including psychotropic medications. Um, I'm terrified for my clients what a Republican gutting of Medicaid could mean. Thank you for taking the time to read this. Sincerely, Debbie. Well, thank you for taking the time to write it, Debbie, and to share your concerns, uh, which I share as well. Uh, and thank you also for your, uh, your your social work in New York City. You are, of course, correct to be worried, which is one of the reasons I wanted to cover it. And uh, and I share those concerns and add them, frankly, to the list that seems to keep getting higher and higher of things to uh, to be worried about under this Congress, under this uh, President. And um, it's an issue that continues to not get the coverage that it merits amidst all of the political madness, which, by the way, works very well for the folks hoping to gut America's social safety net uh, programs, doesn't it?
2: Yeah, and, and the untreated mental illness part is, I think, an extremely important aspect of it because that is part of the reason why these people, many of these people, end up being homeless in the first place. They are unable, because of untreated mental illness, to hold down a job. And if they're not able to get access to the medical care that they need, they fall into drug use and drug abuse and that leads to them taking other measures like you know turning to crime and it, it, it is a huge problem untreated mental illness is a huge problem in the United States and this is this is probably the cruelest thing that the Trump administration could do although I hesitate to think what more cruelty they could come up with because they just oh might.
1: yes don't uh, don't misunderstand them <laughs> uh, Desiree yeah I, and and don't forget by the way it was under Ronald Reagan remember where he uh, made all these cuts and changes that uh, took folks out of mental hospitals and put them on the streets. That's when the uh, homeless problem first blew up back in the 80s.
2: Yeah, the destruction of public health has been a long-term decline, has has contributed to the long-term decline of community and the rise of crime and and all kinds of problems that that really were preventable and unnecessary. Because
1: how dare anybody not be able to pay for their own health care? And if they can't, well, then just let them loose on the streets... They're on their own. All right, one more quickly here from listener Lauren L in Canada, but that's okay. We'll read it anyway. <laughs> uh, she, regarding our story on the uh, on the record number of scientists now running for office across the U.S. in response to anti science uh, Trump and Republican uh, policies and actions coming out of the Congress and the White House. Uh, Lauren writes to say, Hi, Brad, I'm an M.D. and consider us doctors to be actual scientists. Being a scientist, unfortunately, does not prevent one from being a religious person or a climate denier, though I can't figure that out, she says. I'm sure there are several doctors in Congress, plus some of those Uh, scientists running may not believe in all science. That comes from Lauren, uh, noting the fact that we had pointed out that there is currently only one scientist Ah. in Congress, one uh, Ph.D. There are a number of doctors, She's medical doctors, she's right. Um, And I had actually thought of that as well when I first saw the story, but the uh, the Political Action Committee in question that is supporting these scientists... Um, They didn't include, I guess, uh, people in the uh, in the medical profession when they were talking about scientists, but rather uh, STEM fields, science, tech, engineering and math. Uh, I don't know if that includes medical doctors or not. But I I don't. I I actually I
2: don't think it does when it comes to you know the the setting this subsector aside of STEM you know like you said the science technology and engineering and math you know computers and medical doctors a little different so maybe that's why.
1: So there are uh, hundreds of uh, scientists now running for office. I guess non medical scientists in this case uh, running for office in uh, in 2018 as we pointed out not just in Congress but in state and local offices. Um. But I figured I would let that part slide about the uh, the medical doctor uh, because the the pack in question was not uh, including them in in their count, and uh, besides, otherwise it had to go into details on wingnuts uh, in Congress, like Congressman Paul Gosar, uh, who is a dentist in Arizona, <laughs> and who is nuts. Uh, also, Senator Rand Paul. I will let you decide how nuts he is. Uh, He is a uh, pretend ophthalmologist from Kentucky. I say pretend because he apparently created his own. He's self-certified, self-certified. But in any event, Lauren, your point is very well taken and uh, strictly speaking accurate. And I should add, because you're from Canada, very polite thank you <laughs> uh it was also uh, very scientific of her to be quite uh Indeed. That i
2: appreciate that precision
1: so thanks to all of you if you uh, would like to write in you can reach me anytime at bradcast at bradblog.com via email you can find me on the facebooks and the twitters at the brad and if you missed any portion of today's show or any other you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com I, uh, my thanks to those of you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help us continue to do what we try to do every day over your public airwaves. Uh, and I mean it. We uh, greatly thank you. If you stop by bradblog.com slash donate, you are very much needed there. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to my guest today, Congresswoman Barbara Lee from California's 13th. That is it. Until we meet again. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.